You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You Better You Bet presented by BetMGM. We're here in the Power Hour. PJ Glasser, Mark Drumheller filling in for Nick Costos and Ken Barkley. We're on Sirius Channel 160 and Sirius XM 205. If you guys want to listen along and we're still on twitch.tv slash betql and YouTube backslash Odyssey Sports as well. We've talked some college basketball on the show today, some MLB, some NFL. It's time to talk a little golf, though. We bring in Sienna Jod to join us, host of The Early Edge and co-host of By the Book on Monumental Sports. See you. Great to have you on. I was telling Mark the last couple days outside of the four majors. I love the Genesis, man. I love Riviera Country Club. It's a great test. We always get a great field. And we got a good leaderboard right now as we're kind of nearing the end of round one. Who did you pick pre-tournament? Who were some guys that you were on heading into uh, the Genesis Invitational? Yeah, I, I had four guys. I had thanks for having me on the show, by the way. I had two guys kind of in the shorter shot range and two guys definitely in the longer shot range. The two shorter shot guys were Xander Shoffley, who I don't want to say he's struggling, but he certainly hasn't made a splash yet. He's got about six, seven holes to go. The other one was Sam Burns, who I believe carded only a one under through day one. So nothing, nothing great so far. By the way, the two long shots were Kurt Kitayama and Bo Hostler. Bo Hostler, three under. I mean, listen, he's put himself in pretty good position, but the way guys like Patrick Cantlay are playing and the way I suspect Scotty Scheffler is going to be playing throughout the pendency of this tournament, uh, probably not Bo Hostler's tournament. I love it. I'm on Sam Burns as well. So good to hear that you're on my side, even though he didn't have a great day one. But see, I'd love to pick your brain just a little bit about your process. Like somebody who's more of a recreational golf better like myself, it just feels like there's so many different markets you can bet in. There's so many different ways to attack these different golfers. Um, when you craft your card, are you betting every edge that you see? Are you trying to limit exposure by only betting certain markets on certain golfers? How do you attack it? Do you try to balance your card? Give us a little bit of insight there. It's a great question. I mean, first of all, my focus, I'll say right off the top, is on head-to-head matchups. Tournament head-to-head matchups and mm-hmm. round head matchups. It's funny because I started the year prior to today, I was 12-3-2 in round matchups alone, like starting from 2024, like January forward. I actually lost my two round matchups, kind of barely, but I lost my two round matchups today. So that is 12-5-2, still a great record, but I just think there's a lot of edge. Listen, we know that these, like the, the books have a hold when it comes to the outright market. And we know the outright market is really hard to hit. We have streaks where we hit outrights and stuff like that. And it's absolutely golden. I, I've been good about first round leaders somehow in those hit. And that's great. But really the edge, if you're looking for an edge, really in sports betting as a whole, it's in the head-to-head market in golf specifically. What I mean by that, 
is like if you're looking at like the NFL sides on any given Sunday, if you will, my favorite NFL movie, by the way, my favorite football movie, any given Sunday, shout out there to uh, Willie Beeman. But (laughs) when you're looking at stuff like that, even college football, like the sides are so efficient. The totals are so efficient in golf because there's such a plethora of bets, whether you're doing top 20 or outright or head to head matchups or three balls or round matchups or tournament matchups. There's so much to choose from that inevitably these aren't going to be as efficient as, let's say, an NFL side on a Sunday. So I really think the attack approach should be on the head-to-head market, not just for the tournament, but for the round. And honestly, when you're just looking at a 1v1, I really think there are some edges to, to be had depending on what course you're on. You look at course history. You look at recent stats. Uh, you look at like little trends that you might think are, are actually actionable because most trends, not really. Uh, but yeah, that head-to-head market is what I focus on. So my typical card going into a week, I'll have a few top 20 or top 40s, maybe top 30, you know, that kind of thing, finishing position plays. I'll have maybe a few outrights, maybe a few first-round leaders, which are kind of gimmicky and, and, you know, generally for fun. I'm just like splashing the pot with those. But my like the meat of my market here, we're talking like the full unit plays are definitely in the head-to-head market, both in the round matchups day by day and in the tournament matchups. Sia, do you save some money for like live in-tournament betting? Because as you know, in tournaments like this where the field is so strong, after round one, like you can get some great numbers on some golfers. So like a guy who I was really high on coming into the week was Victor Hovland. He's 50 Mm -hmm. to one right now to win. You can get great prices on him. Top 10 finish right now. You know, Colin Morikawa, Xander, guy that you were on 30 to one, 33 to one. Is that another way that you bet golf as well, especially in some of these like marquee events, which will you look at the live in tournament angle? 100%. And I don't know that I even think about it. Like I'm holding money back on my card. Although sometimes I actually have that in mind, but listen, if I see an advantage, regardless of how much I planned on spending or, or leveraging on a given tournament, if I see an advantage, I'm going to bet it. I love what you just said about like after round one and after round two, I'll give you an example. Mark, speaking of Sam Burns, I'm trying to remember the tournament. It's, 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 I can't think of it right now, but I hit him at 80 to one after round one, just last year. It was a tournament around this time of year. Maybe, maybe it was in, in March now that I think about it, but the, the long and short of it is he was 80 to one. And what I'm looking for in those live markets, you know, this is probably, this tournament is probably a bad example because it's stacked when, and I, by the way, this Sam Burns play, I put it out on Twitter. A lot of people hit this. So it was one of those things where the leaderboard at the top was basically devoid of any big names. There were no Scotty Shefflers at the top. There were no Victor Hoblins. And Sam Burns was eight strokes back after round one. And I said to myself, given the tournament that, that it was kind of potentially like a scoring fest and things of that nature, I said to myself, all right, this is a, this is a time to jump on a guy like Sam Burns, who we know can get hot. Just last week, he gained almost 10 strokes ball striking. Like this guy is the prototypical can get hot at any given moment. So yeah, I absolutely think those live opportunities, especially, in fact, Honestly, I might graduate to a time where I'm spending in the outright market. I'm spending more with the live outrights than I am the pre-flop outrights. Shout out Gil Alexander, who I think coined the pre-flop phrase. And so so I think it's such a good question because the more information we have, especially if we can catch that information early, like through one round, through 18 holes, maybe even through like, you know, 26, 36 holes, that's actionable information. And there's still so much time left that you can catch long odds. 
Great stuff, see. And now when you look at your betting history, are there certain courses that just kind of stand out? We know you're taking, you know, player history, how they performed, you know, in those specific courses. But are there courses where every year it comes around where you're just like, man, I always have a ton of success here. I'm going to load up a little bit because I just feel like I have an understanding of how players play on that course. So none, no particular courses come to mind, but my answer to your question is the harder the course, the more success I have. And, and the reason for that is usually like the easy course, like you don't have to be long off the tee. There's not a lot of pitfalls. What does that do? It brings everybody into play, which for frankly, like that's great because you can maybe hit some long shots. But like when you bring everybody into play and you can't narrow the field in any appreciable way, then you just, you're just kind of, to me, you're kind of grasping at straws. So those kind of layup birdie fest courses I'll still bet on them, and I, and I still think I have an edge here or there, whether it's in the outright or head-to-head market, but it's the harder courses where I can kind of stamp out a large part of the field while still maybe looking at guys that other people aren't looking at, and therefore their odds are maybe a little bit longer than they should be. So the harder the course, the more success I have. Talking with C and Ajad here on You Better You Bet, host of the Early Edge on Sportsline and co-host of By the Book on Monumental Sports. You can follow him on Twitter at Sia Najad. See, I want to transition to the NFL with you. Mark and I were just having a conversation last segment. The 49ers are favorites right now to win the Super Bowl at BetMGM. They're plus 500. Kansas City is plus 650. Are you surprised, even though the NFC is a lot easier than the AFC is, are you surprised that San Francisco is the favorite over Kansas City? Yes, but you kind of answered the reason in your question, you kind of answered why that is right because when we look at the AFC and by the way, the AFC might be a little overrated at this point in terms of, you know, justifying why the Chiefs are longer odds than the San Francisco 49ers and I do think there's some teams in the NFC that aren't great yet but are trending to potentially be great. But yeah, the, the long and short of it is you, you got the Baltimore Ravens. People still think the Buffalo Bills are very formidable. The Cleveland Browns, like the Houston Texans are emerging. So I, I guess you can make the argument that it's more of a gauntlet. But the thing about the Kansas City Chiefs is they still have a young team. They have a lot of money locked up in Patrick Mahomes. And that's usually not a good thing when you're continuing to try to chase Super Bowls. Brock Purdy uh, on the other side of it, obviously not commanding a lot of money. And that's why San Francisco is still going, going to enjoy a lot of skill players, a lot of trench players at, at big money. But I would still at least put them at the same odds. I'd at least open it up at like plus 600 for both of those teams. So I was a little surprised that we were looking at like plus 500, plus 750. See, I already bet the Chiefs at seven and a half to one to win next year. Mm -hmm. I think I'm just going to bet them every year until Andy Reid retires. If that Mahomes Reid combination are coming back, they're going to get my money. I'll take my chances. Are there any bets that you already made in regards to Super Bowl winner? Any teams that you think are showing value right now on the board or maybe a team that's you know overrated that you're going to stay away from so i love how you phrase that because i'm looking at value here i haven't fired off these bets yet in in, in all candor but there's a couple of these i'm I'm probably going to bet especially since the lines are kind of different uh, across the board i'll give you an example i bet mgm here we've got the packers at plus 2500 and i'm talking to win the championship here by the way when you're getting a a a, a plus 2500 on a team feel free to hedge once you get to the super bowl or even the nfc championship so (laughs) it's it's not one of those situations where i'm like riding the packers plus 2500 through the super bowl if i'm getting odds that long there's a good chance i'm hedging one way or the other on the on those teams so I think the Packers are really interesting at that number. We know they're an emerging team. I could make it a very, very good argument. So could any of you 
that they should have beaten the San Francisco 49ers. And for the record, I think the Rams at, at BetMGM at, at three, 30 to 1 at plus 3,000, they probably should have beat Detroit. I, I think I know everybody kind of forgets the non calls, but Puka Nakua, in my opinion, was interfered with on the Rams last drive. If they call that, then the Rams end up winning that game in all likelihood. And I know I'm kind of rewriting history, but the point is the Rams are, are at a point where their window is closing. Sure, like certainly, but they're still a pretty good team. And anytime Sean McVay and Matt Stafford are on that squad and you still got Cooper Cup, you still got Puka Nakua, you still got a good running game. I think 30 to one is pretty long. The last one, and these are all NFC teams that I'll mention, the Eagles are 16 to one. In some markets, they're 20 to one. I think that's a little disrespectful, especially in an NFC that really only has one powerhouse team, and then it's kind of everybody else. It's the Niners, then it's Detroit, if you want to make that argument, and it's a fine argument. Then it's teams like the Packers. I, I think the Eagles should probably be plus 1,400, maybe even plus 1,200, plus 1,300, plus 1,600, or plus 2,000. It's too long for the Eagles. I could see them bouncing back in a big way. Sia, what do you think Chicago should do this year? Are you in the camp of mm. keeping Justin Fields, drafting Caleb Williams, and then depending on what they do, does that change how you would bet them in the futures market? If they got Caleb, would you like them better or worse or vice versa with Justin Fields? I don't think it's, it's such a good question. I don't think I would like them better or worse. And it's partly because even if I thought Caleb Williams is a better quarterback than Justin Fields, and he probably is, it's still his rookie year. And, and yeah, we see great examples of guys like CJ Stroud shine in their rookie year. But frankly, a lot of rookies don't shine in their rookie year. And I, I just don't have heavy expectations uh, for a Chicago Bears team, regardless of who the quarterback is. I think they're all trending in the right direction. I, their salary cap situation looks to be very good. Obviously, the draft pick situation looks to be very good. But no, no plan on, on futures there. What I think they should do, it's such a good question. I'm not even sure Caleb Williams is the best quarterback in the draft. I'm a Washington Commanders fan. If they end up with Jaden Daniels, I'm totally cool with it. I, I'm not going to pretend like I'm a quarterback evaluator, but there's enough I've seen from guys like Jaden Daniels, maybe you can make the argument for May, where I'm like, yeah, I'm not 100% sure Caleb Williams is, is this guy that everybody thought Trevor Lawrence was, by the way, right? And Trevor Lawrence really isn't that guy. I didn't think he was that guy, and everybody was – very loud to yell at me there. Maybe he still has something to prove, but not a generational guy. Is Caleb Williams? I'm not so sure. Either way, I don't think the Bears, at least next year, are super improved regardless of what they do. So, yeah, I've been pretty, uh, you know, tough on the commanders and what they've done in the offseason. You mentioned Caleb Williams, yeah. how you're not sure he's the number one pick in the draft. He sure looked at the previous year before Cliff Kingsbury came to USC. Now mm -hmm. Kingsbury in Washington is going to play a big part of molding the future of the franchise. They go out and get Dan Quinn. They bring in Brian Johnson from Philadelphia, who me being an Eagles fan, not a fan of. Let me get your mm -hmm. assessment of what they've done in the offseason. I'm glad the franchise has turned the page, but I'm not sure they're heading in the right direction. I want to get your thoughts. Well, the good news is they have a lot of stuff to work with here. And I, and I specifically mean mm -hmm. the salary cap. Like they've got a ton of salary cap money. They brought in a guy from San Francisco to kind of manage the cap to just be basically be the GM for all intents and purposes. And I think it's a really smart play. We saw what he did with San Francisco. So yeah, I don't know if they're heading in the right direction. I mean, we'll see what happens with the draft. They've got a lot of picks. You know, I, I tend to think they're not going to sell off their picks to get the number one pick to get Caleb Williams, but I could be wrong. Kingsbury being there is is, is an interesting move as it pertains to Caleb Williams. I, but to your point, I'm not a big fan of what they did with their coordinators. But then again, I also think there's room for error with their coordinators if they can get the roster right. I think their roster isn't necessarily as bad as people think, and certainly after the draft it won't be. But listen, Washington has 
they're not going to be good next year. Okay. And they're probably like, we're probably looking at two to three years before Washington is relevant from a playoff viability standpoint, but certainly with new ownership, with with a new GM, with new coordinators, and with finally a ton of salary cap space and definitely a new quarterback, you, you can't help but think this franchise is finally moving in a positive direction. Host of the Early Edge on Sportsline, co-host by the book on Monumental Sports, Sia Najad, at Sia Najad on Twitter. Sia, great meeting you, man. Really good stuff. Appreciate you stopping by. Thanks for having me, boys. I'm happy to come anytime. Great stuff there. All right, Genesis Invitational. These guys are starting to wrap up their first rounds. Rory McIlroy, two under par right now. Hideki Matsuyama with a birdie on 18 to get to two under as well. We'll update you on the leaderboard and wrap up the show here next. You Better You Bet, presented by BetMGM, PJ Glasser, Mark Drumheller, filling in for Nick and Ken here on a Thursday.